Welcome back to the Renaissance and Our Times podcast. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Richard. I will be your host today. And in this episode, we're going to talk about chapter four in Ian McIlchrist's new book, brilliant book, uh, The Matter with Things. So chapter four is called Judgment. And this is an incredibly interesting chapter. So we're going to go through some of the examples and have some thoughts. And at the end, we're also going to see how this has been expressed in uh, old literature, uh, so how this some of this knowledge has been implicitly understood and articulated without knowing this the specific science of it. So for those who have the book, this is from page 135. It's a chapter with 45 pages. So we're going to start here with a quote from Chesterton. And this is about, um, in some ways this chapter will maybe even reset your idea of logic, reason, and um, and the ability to judge something. Because uh, he is showing here that the pure, especially the pure logic in itself, is not always uh, sufficient to make a rational judgment and a correct judgment. So the quote from Chesterton is, if you argue with a madman, it's extremely probable that you will get the worst of it. For in many ways, his mind moves all the quicker for not being delayed by the things that go with good judgment. He is the more logical for losing certain sane affections. Uh, and at the end, the, the madman is the man who has lost everything except his reason, end of quote. So that's just to give some idea of, of re-examining reason and also logic. So there are several things to, to notice here when it comes to the two different brain hemisphere. Uh, so what Bagicris wants to do is to, to then give a new perspective on reason and intuition that emerges informed by understanding the hemispheric differences. So there's a, there's a long string of different very interesting examples. Especially then, for example, it comes to induction and deduction, meaning kind of what uh, automatically follows from something and what is inferred by something. But the left hemisphere is much more kind of this mechanical uh, necessity following because the sequence has been so uh, thus far. And there are several things to notice about how the left hemisphere is working that it tends to reach hasty conclusions on the basis of what seems likely. So one of the first examples of this is that based on that, the left hemisphere also just looks at propositions if they, uh, if they are internally coherent. So if you make a statement like, the Sahara is freezing cold, there is much ice in the Sahara. That's one statement. And the other one is, the Sahara is hot and dry, there is much ice in the Sahara. So if you have the second statement, both hemisphere will say it's false. Like if the Sahara is hot and dry, there will not be much ice there. But the first one, the Sahara is cold, therefore there is much ice there. The left hemisphere will think that's a valid statement. The right hemisphere will object to it and say, no, the Sahara is not freezing cold. It's a very hot desert. So with that simple statement, we have the first example of how the left hemisphere will be blind to see that this is false because the one preposition follows from the other mechanically. So 
that is the first one. And then we're going to jump to, we have uh, three more. They're kind of quite good, these examples. So, uh, because you can just test it on yourself immediately. So, for example, John is taller than Bill. Who is taller? Or Arthur is taller than Bill, and Bill is taller than Charles. Who is the tallest? Both hemispheres are very comfortable with answering this. Like, John is taller than Bill. Who is taller? This is obviously John. There's no trap in this one. <laughs> um, but if you make a different statement, like, John is taller than Bill, who is the shortest one? Then the left hemisphere will struggle. It's, it's at that base level. The right hemisphere will understand this immediately. Maybe because it will visualize and see that John is a taller person than Bill, and then obviously Bill is the shorter one. But for the left hemisphere, this is more complicated because you just said that John is more like more or taller than Bill. Who is the shortest is a different kind of question. It's a it's a, it's a reverse of the relation. And already at that point, people with damage to the right hemisphere, with a stroke or a tumor or other kind of damage, they will struggle to answer that second statement. And another one example is, uh, like point number one, is that Sally approached the movie star with pen and paper in hand. Point two, she was writing an article about famous people's views about nuclear power. So here, the two brain hemispheres will react differently. The left hemisphere will think, oh, she walks to the movie star with pen and paper, she wants an autograph, sorted. <laughs> then they conclude that she's going there for an autograph. The, brain, the right hemisphere will take in account the rest one that she's writing an article and will infer that she actually is going to, the, to this uh, person to ask questions and interview this person about the views on nuclear power in this example. So that's another one where you can see that the, the left hemisphere is to jumping to conclusions very quickly. And then we have uh, one more example, which is also almost like probabilities, which is if you know that uh, you're going to pick two colors, like red and green, and then you know that two-thirds of the times it's going to be red. So this, this requires a little bit of focus for one, one second here. So you know that two-thirds will be red. Then you get several uh, attempts to guess. And what would you do? What would you then guess each time? So what you do then, what the left hemisphere will do is that it will two thirds of the times it will guess red and one third of the time it will guess green, which seems logical. But in a more overall view, it's actually not logical because if you do that, you will end up with 50-50 uh, rights and wrongs. The right approach, which the right hemisphere actually understands, is that you should just guess red every time. All <laughs> Every little time you get the call, you should just guess it's red because then you will get two-thirds of them right instead of 50-50 right. So that one is a little bit more complicated. I think more people will fall into that trap, but it also shows the, the, the contrast between how the left and right hemisphere will look at this. So... Uh, we have then just a couple of last generalizations about the hemispheres, which is that the left hemisphere has difficulty recasting information that is giving or coping with incomplete or contradictory information. It jumps to conclusion, fails to get the point of a story, 
and fails to understand what is going on in someone else's mind. It uh, overgeneralizes. It's frequently constructing a potential past as opposed to a true one. Uh, so it has this idea like in the theoretical world of its own general abstractions, things should work out according to its own plan. So the left hemisphere is also then more likely to act on its theory as though it is the reality. And that is uh, a huge problem. <laughs> and it's also the self-belief of the left hemisphere uh, is also that it believes its own propaganda. It hates uncertainty. As a contrast to the right hemisphere, which then places a premium on the, the truth in the sense of what it's actually uh, perceiving or what, it, what is kind of flowing in more unfiltered and what it just observes. So this is uh, how then the right hemisphere is much better at also then detecting a contradiction between our presuppositions, our model of the world, and the reality that we are observing. But then if you're stuck in the left hemisphere, you will dismiss the right hemisphere, and then you will just look at your own model and you will insist that that's the right one. So um, this kind of uh, the research on this topic is, is kind of astounding <laughs> at times here, uh, both the examples and the, the amount of, of research and um, confirmation of how how this works and the, the huge contrast. And it underlines this overall argument from McGilchrist in the whole work and this is his previous book as well, that uh, there are um, risks in, in the left hemisphere, uh, but it's also at the same time uh, a very kind of uh, persistent and, and it, like hemisphere and it wants to dominate. So we're going to look at, so that was 10 minutes, we're going to see how this is expressed in one of our favorite literary works of all time, which is the Divine Comedy, when it comes to the right and left hemisphere. So this is from the uh, the eighth circle in Inferno, which is the first time where Virgil really fails as a guide. And also kind of this, uh, he plays some kind of a, a, like a father figure as well, for a protective figure for the pilgrim. Uh, so this is when he really can't detect what is happening. So... I'm going to make this short, but it's like they meet uh, a group of demons in the middle of the eighth, eighth uh, circle. And Virgil goes to talk with them. And then uh, the pilgrim is very uncomfortable with this. So, but Virgil talks and asks about that he wants to keep moving further down into Inferno. But then the, the main demon says to him, you cannot travel straight across this string of bridges, for the sixth arc lies broken at the bottom of its ditch. If you have made your mind up to proceed, you must continue on along this ridge. Not far, you will find a bridge that crosses it. So this is the kind of the lie that comes there. Uh, and he continues, I plan to send a squad of mine that way to see that no one airs himself down there. Go along with them, they will not misbehave. And then Virgil believes in this. So you can see him now as the symbol of rationality because the first part of the, of the lie is a truth. But the pilgrim says, Oh master, I don't like the looks of this. I said, let's go. Just you and me, no escort. You know the way. 
I want no part of them. And he continues the pilgrim, if you're observant as you usually are, why is it you don't see them grind their teeth and wink at one another? We are in danger. And he, to me, meaning Virgil, I will not have you frightened. Let them do all the grinding that they want. They do it for the boiling souls, not for us. And then they go along with these demons and then they, they go straight into a trap and they're almost killed and they escape this. And then a couple of chapters later when it's over, you have this very emotional scene where <laughs> Virgil has to admit that he was wrong. So it says here, quote, My guide stood there a while, his head bent low, then said, He told a lie about this business, the one who hooks the sinners over there. And then, In haste, taking great strides, my guide walked off, his face revealing traces of his anger. I turned and left the heavy-weighted souls. So, it's very interesting. This was written 700 years ago, but it expresses very much the same pitfall of the left hemisphere and that it, the internal logic will not sometimes be able to detect if there is a lie. And then also, very interestingly, the, the usage of word when the pilgrim says, can't you see that this is dangerous? Like the visual element, which is more like the right hemisphere, which is just observing what is happening. And that Virgil at the end says, or that his, his face has traces of anger, which is this one emotion that is uh, then placed in the left hemisphere in itself. So it's a perfect description of this, which is just one of many examples of how uh, the ancient world, also much of the medieval times, have expressed these things uh, from, in some sense, more the right hemisphere description, uh, and they embed much of this knowledge uh, in just like this poetic form. So uh, that's all we wanted to say about the fourth chapter about judgment. So this is, uh, again, both very interesting and kind of crucial to, to understand, and it's very helpful to understand your own thinking and when you relate to other people, how and you're in a discussion, that these dynamics are sometimes kind of very, uh, very obvious that they, they, they start influencing how the, the conversation is going or your own train of thought so um, in some sense you could just sum it up with like this just remember to have the big picture sometimes and then step back from the logical analysis and try to have a bit over you then you're already a big step forward in terms of getting a better understanding apprehension and also a better judgment of a situation so hope some of this was interesting a bit of food for thought and again hugely recommended to read this chapter and with that as always Thank you so much for listening and see you again in another episode.